Welcome to the first episode of the Endless Owl Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Lerobertier. My guest today is Stefan Schombach, founder and CEO of Newstore. Stefan has made a huge impact on the retail industry and has literally changed the way retailers do business, whether that's through e-commerce or omnichannel. We're going to talk about all of that today and a whole lot more. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the Endless Hour podcast presented by News Store. I'm your host, Marcus Lerobardier, and I'm joined today by Stefan Schombach, the founder and CEO of News Store. Stefan, how are you? I'm good, uh, Marcus. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yeah. So um, I'm excited to have you, and I, w- I want to start with an easy question. Um, is retail dead? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> It is undergoing a lot of change, some of it forced by COVID, but um, retail is a lively part of you know, the economy, obviously, and uh, it, uh, uh, it, it shifts. You know? I think brands are getting into retail. Uh, retailers who are merely resellers may have to get out of retail, but retail is continuing to happen. And so the, the DNA of the, the retail brands that you see now that are successfully taking some of these challenges on and are thriving. What's sort of the makeup, um, in your opinion, of, of these brands that are doing well? Well, uh, brands that previously may not have focused on uh, consumer direct as much, increasingly uh, want to be in control of their revenue channels. So uh, wholesale is challenging. Wholesale is not very reliable and is a shifting target. So uh, therefore they are increasing their investments in online and also in their own retail and maybe in some relationship with curated marketplaces. But the traditional model where a brand is primarily the brand and then they have uh, <clears throat> just uh, wholesale partners who are reselling what they offer, that's going to go away. So undoubtedly, this this holiday shopping season is going to look a lot different. We've seen e-commerce sales skyrocket since since COVID. Um, you know, fortunately, retail stores are opening back up. But thinking about the, the moves and some of the strategic decisions uh, that brands are making now, in reaction to COVID or, or have an accelerated timeline for some of those technology decisions. What do you think um, looking far ahead, the holiday shopping season will look like in 2021? Um, how are the decisions brands are making today going to impact their future? I think the decisions they're making today are decisions that will stay. For example, investments in store fulfillment or in more omnichannel. That's something that customers want and have been craving for. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, the customers um, demanding this and also the customers learning how to use their smartphones as a wallet, for example, for touchless payments and so forth, drives this combination of, you know, the, the brands investing in better omnichannel experiences. And the customers essentially 
uh, getting trained in uh, the new technology that underpins all of that. And, you know, obviously young people um, or tech savvy um, uh, people have been there all along. But, uh, you know, there's uh, today, if you can't read a QR code with your phone, you may not be able to get served in a restaurant because that's how you're supposed to read the menu. So there are new habits that are being built in consumers at rapid scale and uh, speed. And at the same time, the brands are investing into, you know, better retail experiences, better omnichannel experiences. And by and large, they want to run their stores more like their website. And, and some of that would include remote selling, correct? Yes, there's a whole thing, uh, a, whole, a whole bunch of things that uh, is important here. For one thing, if you go to a website, you're getting a cookie and the website knows it's you. And therefore, it can serve up content that matches your um, taste and um, your desires. Uh, but you can also go in the customer service section and have a look at you know what you bought in the past, maybe um, get an exchange or return started. The same thing will be possible in stores or is possible in stores with our customers. <clears throat> the store knows you, even though it's, it might not be in particular, this particular that you've been shopping uh, in, but uh, you can basically be treated with everything you want, including inquiries about the status of an online order um, with a full competency everywhere you, you go, including stores. So I think I think this is a major change. It's not going to be. It's not going to feel as disconnected as it as it used to. Um, <clears throat> stores are also obviously important as a, a vehicle to win new customers for brands. Actually, especially given the fact that the uh, leases are going to be cheaper in the future, um, it it creates a situation where winning uh, first time customers for a brand may be you know fifty percent or less expensive than winning customers exclusively online, right? Because right now we have this um, interesting situation where, you know, the prices for ads or AdWords um, in both at Facebook and uh, Google are, have been skyrocketing because it's a bidding um, mechanism, whereas the leases have been going down and different lease models become palatable, such as uh, models that have um, a very low fixed lease and a very high variable. Um, so therefore, you know, retail may become very accessible for brands that haven't been in retail uh, before. And the systems to run uh, such a uh, sort of retail strategy that's primarily there to present the brand and find uh, you know, first-time customers for the brand um, also there, and you know, with particularly with new store, for example, <clears throat> these stores can be run um, like a website, including the formulas that are being used for a website. Like I have a customer acquisition cost, I have a customer mm -hmm. lifetime value. And if I can track all the purchases, <clears throat> I may have stores uh, that in itself don't look profitable as a PL, but they bring a lot of new customers to the brand. Therefore, they're extremely profitable um, if you look at, at the investment from that perspective. Right. It's, it's basically seems... retail investments will look more like this, like a marketing and service investment. Right. That was, that was just what I was going to say is um, 
the role of a store isn't just that it's a sales channel, but as you said, it, it becomes service and, and marketing as well. Yes, and you know another role would be you know obviously a fulfillment center, mini fulfillment centers. <clears throat> you know brands uh, with that strategy, brands can fulfill in <clears throat> in all their markets faster than Amazon can. I mean, Amazon may be able to do two hours for USB sticks, but not for a particular product from a particular brand. I mean, that would require a massive amount of inventory. It is so much better to use the store for this and automate the uh, you know last mile delivery as much as mm -hmm. possible. <clears throat> so um, it inventory becomes much more flexible and accessible for both the website as well as for other stores. And shipping can be very quick at very low cost. So, I, in fact, I think this model, a combination of, you know, stores that are much more run like as a part of the website and a, a really good, uh, uh, you know, e-commerce strategy <clears throat> can absolutely compete with uh, the convenience of Amazon. In particular, if more modern payment systems are being used. Let me uh, elaborate on, on payment a little bit. <clears throat> um, today, we moved from using our credit card to using our phone um, with touchless payment. So that's basically the state of the art. That's what all of us got trained in during the last couple of uh, months. <clears throat> but you know, traditional terminal-style payments, where basically put your phone on a terminal, uh, they have a couple of disadvantages. The terminal itself is a bulky piece of hardware that uh, in itself can fail, which it, the battery can route. Uh, you know, all of us have seen situations where one couldn't pay with a credit card and they had to bring another terminal. So they are not like the most reliable piece of tech. Uh, they're actually a much less reliable than a smartphone. Um, also, they don't capture uh, the billing address or the shipping address or what else might be needed if a transaction includes an item that is to be shipped from another store or from the website. That needs to be done manually. And no store associate wants to hand his or her um, smartphone or tablet over to a customer who's supposed to type in the address. I mean, that's like, <laughs> you know, um, <clears throat> that's gross uh, in, in this day and age. Uh, so an e-commerce payment method, let's say Apple Pay, that you would use online transmits the shipping address and there's no touch necessary at all. And everything is uh, correctly uh, transferred. So, so here's a case where that's the better way to pay and it doesn't require a terminal. There are ways to do this, not only from device to device, but maybe even remotely uh, during a chat session. So and another new role for the store is going to be that store associates can sell even if there's no if, even if there are no customers in the store i'm currently calling from berlin where the government has just decided to um, lock down um, almost the entire month of november so there's again going to be restrictions where even if it's theoretically possible customers don't want to frequent stores necessarily but they may know the store associates and can chat with him or her and that can still lead to sales so there's super interesting new ways um, to use these uh, e-commerce style payment methods. And, and, and our prediction is that they will eventually replace uh, the, the traditional credit card terminal. 
There's also, if you think about the use of these newer payment methods that have the, the digital wallet type of payment methods, and such as uh, you know, a- Apple Pay, Google Pay, to some degree also Amazon Pay and uh, um, PayPal, they enable checkout experiences even online that don't require any form of registration or other data. So best practice today would be, I, I found something that I like, I can buy it directly from the brand. I don't have to register. I just use my, let's say, Apple Pay, uh, be it on a computer or on a tablet or on my phone. And that's all there is. And it will just get shipped to me maybe in the same day or maybe next day. Who needs Amazon if you can have um, you know, what you what crave uh, directly from your brand? From the directly from the brand. Um, in almost all cases, if you have any issue with it, the brand will give you much better customer service afterwards. You may be able to go to a store and exchange it. It is a very different experience. And I, I just, my, the case I'm trying to make here is that this is within reach for brands. They can do that. Um, and, you know, like some of our customers, you know, Burton Snowboards, for example, um, delight their customers in a way that the customers don't expect. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of retail transformations, and certainly you over your, the course of your career. Um, but today, having such a customer centric uh, way for for brands to uh, go about their business is is as you said attainable and something that's very possible um, even today. Um, so I want to take a, a step back and talk a little bit about um, some of your career history, and you know you. Founded Intershop and Demandware, um, and with Intershop was the uh, first online shopping store. Um, talk to us, talk to me a little bit about the the early days of Intershop and and the evolution of e-commerce and and some of the things that you were pioneering um, back in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Well, at Intershop, we basically invented online shopping. We may not have been the only individuals working on that uh, problem, but uh, we certainly didn't know of any other uh, group at the same time. (laughs) Um, And the way we got to it is we had very early access to the uh, internet even before there was a web browser. We had early exposure to the very early versions of web browsers that were called World Wide Web and actually (laughs) uh, the inventor (laughs) Uh, show, demoed it to us in person. <laughs> so, uh, um, and what happened was it suddenly showed up on Windows and was no longer um, on, available on, on exotic Unix platforms only. And when it showed up on Windows, I thought there must be, there must be a way to exploit that commercially because at the time they were mostly scientific um, and and you know educational uses for the internet, and we experimented with um, sort of a simple way of showing a catalog, and you know maybe you know figuring out how to order from the catalog. And 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 once I saw the prototype working, I was <laughs> I was just convinced that that could be built into um, you know an online shopping system. And back then, we invented all the pieces that are still the cornerstones of online shopping, such as 
a dynamic catalog that's driven by a database that has a hierarchy, but you can search it. Um, customer registration with a password, um, the shopping cart, you know, and, um, and and such. And um, yeah, we turned that um, into a, a shrink wrap software initially for smaller merchants because the big guys didn't want them. E-commerce wasn't really interesting for them. And later built, um, rewrote the software into something that would work for enterprise, but self-hosted. And uh, that was very successful. Company went public and had a lot of customers, uh, but also got in trouble after uh, 2000 when um, the world decided that we don't need as much internet and e-commerce as we thought we would. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we were, um, you know, basically uh, to some degree a victim, uh, like many other tech companies of the uh, dot-com crisis. Um, now, when business got back to almost normal after uh, 2000, I realized that retailers, aren't, uh, retailers and brands aren't that particular great at running an e-commerce website from an IT perspective. It's very complicated. You need not just the software, you need a database, you need hardware, you need backup, you need load balancers, you need like 20 different very complicated components that all have their own update and migration schedules. So we thought we could probably package this into a service. And today we call that cloud. Back then it was called software as a service. And, <clears throat> and offer it basically in a revenue share or, um, you know, shared success type of business model. And uh, when we started in 2004, it was, um, it was very exotic and we could find only small, um, but visionary <laughs> brands uh, who wanted to try that. Uh, um, I fondly remember um, Gardner Supplies who from Vermont, who, uh, one of our first customers that put a more substantial business um, onto um, you know, our service, you know, company was called Demandware. Um, but at some point, and again, interestingly enough, after the financial crisis, we had a surge in um, larger brands wanting to adopt software as a service as the more flexible, more scalable, but also more affordable alternative to running e-commerce systems in-house. And just a rolling forward a little bit. I mean, you all know, you know, demand got uh, uh, pretty big. It got the, the premier platform for um, brands to do e-commerce on, uh, got acquired, you know, went public, got acquired by Salesforce, you know, big success story. But interestingly enough, what we're experiencing now, again, is a crisis that is changing the uh, buying behaviors and, uh, and, and, and also the sense of urgency um, by which retailers are adopting newer solutions that get them a, a better competitive edge. Um, and, you know, everybody says and sees that, you know, e-commerce revenues are growing and that's great, but um, to make e-commerce profitable, um, it, is, it is necessary to have a strategy, a blended strategy that, um, you know, finds customers not only through uh, the taxes of the monopolies of this world. <laughs> and retail is just that. It's a differentiated strategy that uh, can expose first-time customers to the brand 
and are also great points of service and uh, delivery. You know, it was interesting. One one thing that um, struck me was, you know, thinking about uh, InnerShop and the problems you were solving there, and then with Demandware, um, was just the the ideation of of what was possible. And it seems like um, you and, and your team were really thinking through different problems piece by piece, and and ended up um, solving solving what would end up being, you know, e-commerce and, and a channel for consumers to buy goods? Yes, I mean, at InterShop, we really tried it ourselves step-by-step step before we decided to really put it into a software package. We we operated a computer-type store at a very low margin and had packages coming in every day. We sent them out in the evening. And, uh, you know, and, and you know, this, is how we learned, this is how we learned things like, you, know, you got to have a registration and a password. Um, that wasn't like the first idea. You know, the, um, and, um, yeah, we, 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 we tried and we also learned, okay, you know, if these things get to scale, you need a distribution center. You can't do this, you know, in a garage anymore. Um, but it was enough to kind of get, get to, uh, enough experience to teach others how to do it. And, um, you know, I had a debate with my co-founders who, you know, weren't really sure what we wanted to become, you know, maybe, a website that sells computer parts or a software company. I was the guy who voted for a software company, uh, but we did have debates about it. And um, I, I still think going through this learning experience of trying something for the first time that nobody ever has, has tried before was really valuable, was enormously valuable. And I'm sure that that shaped a lot of um, who you are as an entrepreneur moving forward, some of those early lessons and you know, trial and error. Of course, you got to try. I mean, you got to. Of course, um, many people have a vision, but that's not a differentiator, right? It's like, what do you do to make it a reality, or what do you do to try something and figure something out that may be different from the vision, but that moves you, you know, a step ahead? And you know, um, so sort of my my appetite for risk taking is is. Uh, has not changed over the years. I'm still willing to make big bets if necessary, but not. I wouldn't necessarily bet the entire house. But you know, I, I'm, um, um, I, I, I am a, a fan of um, sort of a series of experiments to get to a better place in an industry or with a solution. Yeah. Um, so taking that, um, you know, what advice would you have for you know a younger entrepreneur, um, somebody that's um, maybe, you know, in a content creation or I'm um, sorry, a, a category creation type industry or trying something new, what, what advice would you have for, for an entrepreneur that's just getting going? I think the most important advice that has helped through over the years is take the money when you can get it and not when you need it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> that, that's funny. Um, I, <laughs> I like that. Um, it, it reminded me of a question that I had had for you, um, the word money in particular. Um, and it's actually the title of a song by one of your favorite bands, Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, sure. You like Pink Floyd. Cool. Um, sorry. I like them a lot. Yeah. 
That's that's great. Um, I, I'd heard that. Uh, I think from Phil Granoff, and um, yeah, that's interesting. So, uh, taking a bit of and making it a little bit uh, more about you, you're an avid uh, cyclist and, and sailor, um, and I wanted to just see is it you know, for you as an entrepreneur, um, with new store and with other different business ventures, um, you know, do you kind of lean on the cycling and sailing as, as a bit of an outlet, um, and just a reprieve from, from business? Sure. I mean, I love to be outdoors. I think that's my primarily my, um, uh, my balance with, uh, business and outdoors. There are many great things that can be done. You know, <laughs> um, I, I, I love to sail, um, I never sailed like seriously uh, competitively, but uh, mm-hmm. um, so cruising is, is is fun, and and I did some light racing, but nothing nothing serious. Um, and you know, I like running, cycling, mountain biking, um, diving, skiing. Nice, yeah. very fun. Um, Great. Well, Stefan, this has been uh, fun to, to talk and catch up with you. Um, you know, and uh, I, I just wanted to say thanks for, for your time. Um, any, any last thoughts or um, an outlook for retail brands, maybe a piece of advice um, heading into the new year? A piece of advice. Well, very selfishly, I would say now is the time to put in systems that, you know, ensure that you uh, prosper um, and that omnichannel comes uh, becomes a reality your, your customers will thank you and you'll be able to utilize uh, your your investments in stores and store associates so much better perfect great well Stefan thanks again um, I appreciate your time and, um, and we'll catch up soon thank you Marcus bye bye Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast, which is presented by New Store. We'll catch you next time on the MSI.